Everybody wants to play a bigger part. This is day one. This is day one. Everybody's wondering what we are at heart. This is day one. This is day one. Everybody wants to play a bigger part. Why are you waiting for tomorrow to start? This is day one. Hello and welcome to the Day One Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Dudley. Welcome back to the podcast. I guess this is the season premiere of season two. We did about a dozen episodes. We've taken a month off. We're back with brand new guests and I'm really excited to share them with you. So thank you for returning to the podcast. I'm really excited about today's guest. She's an amazing young woman. I met her, I guess, about four years ago. And a friend of ours said, hey, you have to meet this extraordinary woman. She'll just blow you away. And when I first met her, I absolutely was floored by the energy and the passion and the work that this woman was doing. And I wanted to keep connecting, and we tried, but honestly, it was hard to pin her down for a coffee. She was in New York. She was out in California. She was working incredibly hard to keep building this social enterprise that she had founded and was growing at the time. Forbes called it a rock star social change agent of the future, creating change in the present. It was moving along. It was gaining a lot of momentum. And Kanika was really getting a reputation as a young mover and shaker in the social enterprise world. In fact... The Women's Executive Network named her one of Canada's most powerful women. And then something changed, and we're going to talk about that in this interview. But I really got to know Kanika more after that. And I've been lucky enough to talk with her, I guess, every few weeks over the last three or four years. I'd like to sit down and we can chat for hours at a time. And one of the things that I love about talking to Kanika, and you'll hear it in the interview, is she is absolutely not afraid to point out to me when she thinks that I'm wrong. And as a result, almost every time I talk to her, I get smarter. And you'll even hear it in this interview when I ask her about the very core of what I do when it comes to day one leadership. She actually challenged it. I kind of knew that it was going to happen. I will say that she was a little trepidatious to do this interview. I had to ask her a number of times. And although she never actually said no, I was always really conscious that we never really got to yes. And so when she finally agreed to come and share her insights, I was thrilled because Every conversation I have with her, she changes the way I look at life and she changes the way I look at work. So I'm thrilled to share with you this conversation with Kanika Gupta. Kanika Gupta, welcome to the Day One Leadership Podcast. Thank you very, very much for taking the time to do this for me. Well, thank you for the invitation and for your persistence. My persistence. Now that's it. I, I, there is some trepidation on your part to do the podcast. I had to ask more than once. From where did the trepidation come? I think it's because for the last couple of years, I've been pretty comfortable hanging out with myself. So the thought of uh, speaking with you and broadcasting this to the world is, um, it's something new for me. Well, thank you for doing it. It does mean a lot. So we were introduced by a mutual friend. And after meeting with me and we had a chat, he said, you have to meet this woman. You have to meet this extraordinary young woman named Kanika. So we met, got together and maybe it was our mutual love of penguins that caused us to connect immediately. But put yourself in his place. How would you describe the Kanika of, I guess it was what, late 2011 that he was saying you have to meet? Who, who was that woman at the time? If you were in his place, who would you say she was? I was someone who was really passionate and excited about the work that I was doing. 
it was it was something that I really believed in, and I think that passion exuded itself. I was just getting an organization up and running. I was looking to find allies and supporters and, and people who believed in that mission and that mandate and were willing to share that energy with me. So I think it's on that premise that we were connected. Um, but, it, you know, I don't know how other people saw me because it's impossible to know. You only know how, who you are and how you present yourself to the world. So I met you a couple of times and I was, he was right. I was blown away, continue to be, but I, it turned out I set up so that you and I could speak at the same TEDx event down in Washington, DC. And that never actually happened. So I was trying to figure out how to ask, you know, to take us through this, but I figured I'd just ask that we were supposed to speak. And then a couple of days before I got a call saying it couldn't happen. Could you explain what, what happened and why, I guess this is like a big transition. What happened in the lead up to that event? So I have no memory of those days, so I can't tell you exactly what happened. But uh, a couple of days before I was supposed to hop on a plane to go to Washington to do the TEDx event with you, I, I hit the back of my head and I got a concussion. And while the initial prognosis was only two days and I was told in the hospital that I should be fine to go on a plane in two days and give this talk because that was a preoccupation at the time. Again, I don't remember any of this, but I was told, oh yeah, it's a concussion. People recover from concussions relatively easily. You know, two days later, I wasn't able to move. So the trip got canceled, the talk got canceled and pretty well everything else. <laughs> and when was that exactly? I keep losing sight of it. This is in February of 2013. So it was 2013. So it was over three and a half years ago. Yeah, we're nearing four years now. So talk about immediately after, like right away, they say, oh, you've got a concussion, couple of days, you'll probably be okay. That turns out not to be the case. Then how does it progress from there? Well, so it's interesting. I, I'm not a sports fan. Um, so concussion's a word that was very elusive to me. I had heard of it, but I didn't even know what a concussion was. So when I was given the diagnosis of a concussion, I really had no idea what to expect. And, and they say that recovery is don't do anything. Your body, your brain is very sensitive to external stimuli. Um, anytime you try to use your brain, uh, it tires itself out. It needs its time to heal. So essentially sit in a dark room and do nothing, which was fine because to be fair, there, I wasn't able to do much. I, I had some pretty intense headaches. I was always nauseous. I was very difficult to concentrate and focus on anything. So the easiest way to pass the time was to sit in bed and, and sleep it off. And then the days turned into weeks, and then the weeks turned into months. And it was, it was this thing that just felt like it kept on dragging out. So I did what I could do, which was give my brain some rest. And in return, I was hoping that my brain would heal. And I was waiting uh, for recovery to come. And in my mind, recovery was looking, being able to function and operate in the ways that I did prior to uh, the injury. And what have you learned that it means now? Has that changed? Uh, it has changed. <laughs> because I've, 
developed a much greater appreciation and fascination for the human brain and of all of its complexities. And while the vast majority of people with concussions do go on to um, recovering to a point where they're able to resume the activities that they once did, there's a very small minority of people, myself included, whom I'm not going to say that's not a reality because we just don't know, but we're kind of, we hang out in what I call the black hole of medicine. So it's because it's recognized that this is an issue, but no one seems to know why. Why do some people fall into the state that I'm in, um, and what's the best course of action to allow the body to best heal? And no one quite knows. So we're all kind of left on our own to figure out, okay, where do we go from here? So when you say you were giving your brain some rest, describe what that meant, because I remember when you fi- when we finally had a chance to get together, I think it was almost six months later, and your comment was, I sit in a dark room, and I'm like, oh, do you read? And you're like, no, I don't read. Oh, do you watch TV? No, I don't watch TV. So when you say you were giving your brain a rest, what did that look like on a day-to-day basis? Well, for everyone recovering from a brain injury, um, their activities and the challenges they face are different. So it's it's unique person to person. But in my case, because I had some pretty significant visual impairments, uh, I wasn't able to watch TV or do a lot of very visual activities. And for a very long time, it was sitting in bed and staring at the blank wall. And there wasn't a lot to do because every time I tried to do an activity, it would put so much strain on my body, it hardly felt worth trying. Um, But I guess it left a lot of room for (laughs) self-contemplation, a lot of processing what's going on already in my head because when when there are no new inputs to come into your head, like if you're, if you're on the internet or reading the newspaper or having conversations with people, you're constantly consuming new information and that that's what's at the top of your head and that's what's keeping you stimulated and engaged. So when there are no new inputs coming into you, I think a natural response is to process the information that's already inside of you. So it was it was very bizarre. I had like conversations that I had with people years ago that I thought, were totally lost, my subconscious brought them back out to the conscious. And I just spent a lot of time having what I call one-way conversations with myself. And because I, I know that self-reflection is so important, and we tell leaders that, and so few people do any of it. But what got me is that you described a life where like, you were the only thing you got to do was think about you and your life all the time. And for how long was that, would you say, before you were able to start adding, as you say, new inputs in? Well, the reflection never ended, right? So as I was able to to tolerate more activity and bring more activity and even external inputs into my life, I still think I did the same amount of internal processing. <laughs> because it's. I think once you start on that track, you don't stop. Uh, it's fascinating the insights you come up with, but you also go to some pretty scary dark places too. And um, I haven't had a chance to talk to anyone who's been put in a similar situation to kind of compare experiences with, but 
It's a, it's a very interesting experience, and I'm mindful of the fact that a lot of people probably in their lifetime won't have that chance to be blocked out from everything and from everyone in the world and only focus and think about themselves. But, you know, I think our, our subconscious or our minds are, are constructed in layers, and it's just constantly dealing with the layers and you know you surprise yourself with the things that come up and the things that come up from your past that you had forgotten about and but it, it gets exhausting too because you're kind of just like in the cycle where you're just you're you're thinking you're thinking and it's I'm I'm someone that really appreciates intellectual stimulation and it's interesting. A lot of people who, who are familiar with the effects of, of concussions and brain trauma and what the recovery looks like, their initial reaction when they meet me, it was just like, how do you do it? You're not concussion material. Because I'm, I'm someone who just was a busy bee, right? Like, I would work 12, 14 hour long days. I, I was compared to as, as I was compared to the Energizer Bunny or like, I remember someone I once worked with called me a machine because I was just constantly having conversations with people, doing stuff, running around on the go and that I craved stimulation and activity. So all of a sudden to have to stop all of that was definitely, you know, challenging and I had my moments, but I think my way of compensating for that lack of external activity and, and ways to fuel myself was to, to channel all of that energy internally and just to think and process. I think before I would define myself based on what I did. And so when you ask the question, so, so who were you or, or who are, who's the person you are, it would be very easy to say, okay, I'm Kanika, I used to run this organization. And you tie your identity to what it is that you do. Now I don't, when you ask that question, who are you? There is no link to that, to, to an occupation, to a material possession, to a relationship, because that's not your identity. That's just, that's just a layer. So it's, I think I was thrown off guard based on how you asked that question, because who was I? Who was I? I'm still the same person right? It's, it's all about identity. It's, you know, I'm someone who's, who's passionate about what I do. I'm someone who I'd like to think is, is caring, is compassionate, is hopeful. All of that was there before. It just manifested itself in a different way. So before it was a lot about what you did as opposed to who you were. No, before I thought what I did was the same as who I was. Now I'm aware of the fact that what I do is only a subset of who I am. And who I am at my core is something much deeper. And that has always been true and remain unchanged. Now, not only did it, obviously there's a massive impact on you because of your injury, your illness, but also your friends and your family have to are now involved in this as well. How did they, to the best of your knowledge, deal with that? How did your your family and your friends react when they heard about this and in the, the weeks and months afterwards? My immediate family has been beyond amazing. Absolutely beyond amazing. Um, it's it's a very humbling feeling to 
Yeah, to, to, to have your family drop everything and to take care of you as their, their priority. So that was, that was a very nice feeling. It's been an interesting journey because brain injuries are known as invisible injuries. So anyone looking at me or, or you having a conversation with me across the table, I look identical to my pre-concussed self. There are absolutely no visible impairments. And whatever things people, whatever preconceptions people might have of what it means to, to have a brain injury, so whether it be, I don't know, slurred speeches or, or, or delayed responses or, or, or something um, more intellectually in nature, that didn't happen with me. Because as I said, everyone experiences different types of symptoms. So when people looked at me, the, the, the first thing everyone would say is, oh, but you look fine. I, I don't understand. How come you're not back at work? Why are you at home? Why are you sleeping all the time? And it's been a very interesting process of finding that right balance of educating people to see what they can't see. Um, and really for them to try to understand a completely different way of living that's in many ways I believe is only possible to truly understand if you've experienced them yourself. So as a result, you know, I think a lot of people didn't quite understand what I was going through. And in response, what they would do were um, offer, I think what you called them, empty platitudes. And while they were well-meaning and good intentions, saying things like, you know, they're like totally slipping my mind now. It could be worse. <laughs> you told me once we sat down, you're like, if one more person says <laughs> it could be worse, uh, or they start with like, at least you, um, that's one get like you kept saying is that people keep saying to me, at least you didn't. <laughs> Yeah, and it's it's interesting that reaction because yes, I am incredibly grateful that things were not worse and things my situation could have been so much more different, but saying using that word at least I feel like diminishes what it is you're going dealing with right now. And you know, saying that, oh, something great will come out of this. This was meant to be or um Again, the whole list is eluding me, but um, while they were well-intentioned, when I feel like I was dealing with this thing where I'm constantly trying to make sense of this new reality. You know, there is no guidebook. There is not a single person I know that has had to deal with this, and everything is so new and so bizarre. And every day I'm doubting myself. Okay, is this something that I'm not seeing? There's nothing that's showing up on the medical tests. Like, I look perfectly fine. Why do I feel so different? Why, why does getting through the day feel so difficult? So on top of that, to have people kind of give you, the share with you these empty platitudes, it just it's not easy to respond to them well. Because <laughs> you, know you know they mean well, right? Yeah, but they're not constructive. 
right? They're, they're not going to help me make sense of my current reality. In essence, they just... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it was doubt. Uh, they, they further added to the doubt of all the confusion that I was dealing with, but it was just... It wasn't useful. Like, this is the situation that I'm in right now. Like, let's acknowledge the situation and, and help me figure out what's the best way forward. Maybe this is a tough one, but what do you wish someone had said back then? You had all these people, and they probably didn't know what to say. Now, just in case someone ever has to deal with a friend of theirs who's in a, a challenging place like this, can you think back and be like, this is really what I needed somebody or wanted someone to say to me? Can you think of one thing that would have been actually nice to hear? I think what has a lot of merit and value is not and is not said enough is for someone to straight up acknowledge what they don't understand or what they're not able to relate to. So what would have been awesome is hearing at that time, I can't even begin to imagine what it is you're dealing with. And to somehow find a way to acknowledge the pain, to acknowledge the comfort, the, the, the discomfort, the confusion, and not to offer unsolicited advice. I think what people are looking for in their time of need is not someone else to tell them what to do or how they should be doing, um, but just to offer unconditional support. Yeah. That is really helpful, actually. You had a conversation with me. We, we get together, we do phone calls while I'm driving places, and it was always awesome to talk to you. And I could always tell when we had a phone call where you had come up with something. Like, you would, like I don't want to say they're breakthroughs, but you'd always be like, I've, I've, I've come to a realization. And I'd be like, okay, cool. This is always going to be smart. And you said, I'm no longer somebody with a traumatic brain injury. And I was like, oh, cool. And you were like, I am now someone with a chronic illness. Talk about that change in your mind. What brought it about? And what's the difference in your mind? It, to me, I think that realization came from a point of mindset, but also of acceptance. So for, I think at this point, it had been two years. And it just, it felt like my my prognosis just kept on getting dragged out. So initially, I'm, I'm someone who had a concussion that was supposed to heal in two days. Okay, that's fine. Two days doesn't roll around. About 90% of people with concussions heal within the first two to three weeks. Just give it a little more time. It's like, okay, once a couple of months started rolling out, you have something called post-concussive syndrome. We recognize that this is an issue. We have absolutely no idea why you have this syndrome, but it's okay. There's nothing unusual about your case. There's a whole bunch of other people living with post-concussive syndrome. That means that the symptoms are going to linger on for a little while longer, six months, right? And then six months rolls around. And so I'm, I felt like I was in this place of limbo because I'm constantly waiting for this magical day to come where I will have been recovered, recovered as in being fixed, being able to go back to my life pre-concussion. And 
it just it gets exhausting to constantly have to drag this thing out and I felt like my life was being put on hold so while I introduced new activities into my world I, I got into art into painting and in fantastic ways to pass the time to me these were mere up uh mere opportunities to pass the time yet I still felt like my life was on pause and then I somehow I came across this the term chronic illness and, and chronic illness is, is when people who have illnesses that that are chronic so there is no expectation of what recovery would look like what um, you know obviously the goal is quality of life and how can you make yourself feel as comfortable and as good every day? But unlike injuries, a lot of injuries, you break your arm, you wait for it to heal. Um, chronic illness doesn't work with that mindset. It acknowledges that you live with certain a condition, certain ailments that may stay with you. And there's no, there's no time frame. It's not forever. It's not indefinitely. But you just you work under the assumption how I'm feeling today is likely how I'm going to be feeling tomorrow. I don't know how I'm going to be feeling tomorrow, but that's irrelevant. Whereas recovery from an injury, recovery from a brain injury was constantly waiting for tomorrow to come. And after two years, you just you get tired. So it was about shifting from when am I going to get better to this is who I am. And is that that seems like a fundamental shift in your way of thinking about yourself. The idea that, okay, I'm not this lesser version of who I used to be. I am going to be the full version of who I am now. Is, is that an accurate assessment? Absolutely. And I think it's, it's how you choose. It's the perspective you choose to look at things. Are you, are you, I don't even want to use the half. I think you and I had this conversation you know, there's this very cliche saying that do you look at the glasses half empty or half full? And again, going back to empty platitudes, a lot of people were just like, you know, you should really be focusing on the glasses half full, seeing all of the wonderful things that exist in your life rather than half empty. And half empty is focusing on everything that I was that I had lost, everything that I was waiting to regain into my life. But I think the shift to accepting chronic illness is not seeing the glass as half empty or as half full, but seeing the glass. Well, what did we say? Um, oh, it's the glass is the perfect size. Exactly. And the water's already filled up to, or the liquid's already filled up to the top. And when you look at life that way, you have nothing but gratitude because what you have is already an abundance. And I have so much in my life today, and I want to focus on all of that. And I'm, there's so much I'm still figuring out because I feel like I've been handed a new glass. But it's just, it's such a positive, not positive, but it's, um, it's a very liberating way of, of looking at things. And I felt a huge weight being lifted off my shoulders once I started seeing things that way. And you told me this, this story. It was a really powerful conversation we had. But before we were getting ready to do this, I joked that uh, I, I have all these notes from conversations that we had. And I remember you being like, 
you take notes when we have conversations and I do because I think there's things I don't want to forget and I was hoping one day that you'd, you'd agree. So you told me about a conversation you had with a friend of yours and she said, and you were talking about this transition to looking at, okay, it's chronic illness now. And you said, she said, well, have you given up hope that things will be better or don't you hope tomorrow will be better? Tell me about that conversation. I understand the intention um, behind that, that, that the whole idea of having hope for tomorrow. And at the end of the day, no one wants to see their friend in pain. And, you know, there are unpleasantries that I have to deal with on a daily basis. So I, I see where that was coming from. But I still feel that attitude is, don't you have hope that tomorrow will be better will still hold me back from enjoying and embracing everything that is today. So my response to her was, I have, I have hope that I can make today awesome. And that's, that's really all that matters. It sounds a lot like the, the concept of day one, which is all you can really worry about is, is making today a positive step towards whatever the rest of your life will be, because this is what we've got. It, it's interesting. Um, because uh, I talk about, uh, we were having a conversation once and because I, I just love these phone calls that come out of nowhere. We drive and I'm driving somewhere and then inevitably you say something that fundamentally challenges a, like a core concept of my being. And that's why I love talking to you. But we were talking about goals and, and you said something and I don't want to get it wrong. So I'll ask you if you remember what you said. You said something about goals that I think then like triggered a 45 minute conversation between the two of us. Do you remember what it was? Well, I don't like goals and you're a big goals person and you've, to my understanding of, we're considering building a business around helping other people set and achieve goals. If I, I don't know if I have that correctly, but I think that's what provoked such a heated conversation because you come from a perspective that you fund, you very much believe in goals and personally you've set a lot of goals that, that have really helped you become a better version of yourself. Whereas to me, I, I think goals are toxic. And I don't say that as someone who's, who's lazy or, or complacent, but someone who just, I don't believe in making goals. And I've never been good at setting goals because I just, I feel like it puts much too much pressure on the outcome. And if you focus on the outcome, sometimes you lose out on the integrity of the intentions that inspired you to create the goals in the first place. So for example, you have a goal to, to lose a hundred pounds. What happens if on, you know, the 30th day or a year later, you lose 98 pounds? Will you be disappointed that you didn't achieve your goal? The way I see things, you're 98 pounds lighter. Lighter, that's amazing. But the mere idea of not having achieved or hit that specific goal, like it'll bring negativity and it'll just weigh you down. And to me, like that's just that would be very unfortunate. And it's weird because you had, you never used that phrase when we had this discussion before: the integrity of the intention. And I because it made me really think about it, especially that example you used, like. You set out to lose 100 pounds, Drew. If you lost 98, do you feel disappointed despite the fact? 
And the funny thing was that had happened because my goal was to lose a hundred pounds by like a new year's, right? I wanted to be under 200 pounds at new year's and I hadn't been, I had been like four pounds heavier and I was a little disappointed, but I remember what your, that question you just asked made me think was this goals aren't about trying to achieve a certain thing. Goals are about trying to become the type of person who's going to achieve those things. If that makes any sense, like I was 98 pounds or 96 pounds lighter, but I was someone who behaved every day in a way that made made it more likely I'd be a healthy person who lost weight. That should have been the goal, not losing a hundred pounds, being the type of guy who acts in a way that is healthy should be the goal. That was, and, and I love this phrase, the integrity of the intention, right? Exactly. But sometimes you get lost in, in, in goals, which are so binary. It's very black and white is yes. If I've achieved this goal, it's success. If I didn't, it's failure. And there's so much in between and yeah, it's for that reason that I don't like goals because I think you get so attached to a specific outcome and then you get overwhelmed and it'll snowball into something that's so big. And, you know, I speak with friends who are like, they they have other goals of, you know, finding a new job or, or figuring things out. And it's just, it's not fair to put so much pressure on yourself if, if you're already on the path and you've already set out those intentions. So I think it's the intentions that you have to really focus on because, you know, there's, there's so much you're going to learn every single day, every single conversation you have with someone, you're learning something new, you're opening up your horizons. And if you're so fixated on a specific goal, you'll miss out on all of that, or that all of this will enter into your world, but you won't even be conscious of it. And you won't even appreciate all, everything else that you've gained um, on your journey of your pursuit of your goal. But you said you're, you wanted to make today awesome. That's not a goal? No, I don't see that as a goal. I see that as an intention because oh. I don't have... To me, a goal is you have a very specific idea of what it's going to look like afterwards like you usually you you would attach some metric or or some form of measurement to it you can't i don't know you can't do that with an intention because you have no idea what it's gonna look like and i think it's better that way and this sounds a lot like the day one concept i talk about which is don't be worried about the down the road focus on what is your intention today? And then do your best to live up to that intention. If you don't, you didn't fail at a goal, but just always be the type of person who has that intention. So the day one leadership podcast concept. Usually I ask people if you could talk to yourself on the first day of high school and you could sit down with that version of you, being the person you are now, what would you tell them? I can't figure out whether to ask you that or if I could allow you to sit down with Kanika the day after your injury, uh, assuming of course that she was up to, to hearing you, which uh, could you want to answer both? Would you be willing to answer one or the other? Like if you could go back to the first day of high school, day one for Kanika and be like, here's some things to know. Or if you could talk to you the day after your injury as the person you are now, which could you give me what you'd say to each one of those? Would the conversations be different or would they be the same? 
I, I don't remember much about high school or my first day of high school, and I, I understand what... But I guess the advice I would give to myself on my first day of high school would be similar to, to whatever advice I'd give to, to any student in high school when they're, you know, tr trying to figure out their way. And, uh, and you know, there's a lot of pressure to, to, to try to do all the right things in high school that will then set you up for whatever your adult life and professional life will be like. And I think in high school I was one of those students um, that believed a lot in plans. Maybe they were goals. I don't know. <laughs> and not necessarily being strategic, but, you know, I, I had a vision of what I thought my life was going to look like. So what I was going to study in school, what kind of career I wanted to go on, and, you, and this and that. And, you know, I don't think a high school version of myself or even uh, the version of myself of 2013 would have ever imagined that this is what my life would have looked like to today in 2016 and that's that's the advice I would give that person is don't don't be attached to your plans uh, and know that there will be deviations that will happen from that and that's a beautiful thing it's it's really fantastic if if something different happens so just be open to that when when change enters into your world and It'll come unassumingly. You won't even realize it. Like in my case, it was a rather abrupt change in lifestyle. But if I were to talk to the version of myself immediately after my injury, I was playing the waiting game. I, I was working under every reasonable assumption that I would be able to pick up the pieces and carry on from the work that I was doing from before. So if I had a chance to talk to that person, like some, some weird ghost coming back to talk to them, like ghost of the future, uh, to be like, no, this is not going to happen. I, I don't know how I would have reacted, but I'm glad that no one told me that then, because then that, you know, I allowed myself to discover and, and come to terms with my new reality on my own, um, at my own pace, in my own way. And through this process, I've learned what to let go of, what to hold on to, and I'm constantly figuring myself out, and that's, I think that's what keeps things interesting. What's interesting, I don't think that's much different than a lot of people who listen to this. It, it like, we're all trying to figure ourselves out. I just, I always love talking to you because there, you are so consciously aware of it and so okay with it. Like, I've never met anyone who's as okay with not knowing as you are. And maybe it's because you've gone through this experience, which, again, I can't possibly relate to where a lot of things changed and you realize oh, there's really no way of knowing what comes next. But I've never known anyone who's so okay with not knowing. I think that's a bit of a stretch. Oh, really? <laughs> I should have said I this, who seems to be okay with not knowing. <laughs> I think intellectually, I, I know that there's no point in, in planning and thinking beyond today because I'm mindful of the circumstances in my life, external circumstances, and I know all too well that there's no point thinking too far ahead because things will change. And I'm a very extreme example of that happening. 
so on that respect, I've, I've come to terms with this and I've accepted it. And then there's something very liberating about not making plans and being very aware of not making plans because you know there's no point. You have no idea what tomorrow's going to hold for you. But I think on a more emotional level, it's it's very difficult. It's very difficult to to not know because you know I don't live in a bubble. I'm I'm surrounded by by all these other people who are creating their plans and, and trying to figure things out, and and they're moving forward in different ways in their lives, and they're growing in in different aspects. So I'm I'm 30 years old, and it's that's the age where where everyone chooses to settle down, and and they have their children, and they've bought their first home. So while no one really knows what's around the corner, they still have some degree of certainty over what their life is going to look like tomorrow or a month from now because they're committed and they're tied down to a certain set of responsibilities that they've they've agreed to. So yeah, not not knowing is difficult, is absolutely difficult. But it's like it's this constant tension. It's this pull of trying to the best of my abilities to be present and to 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 try to live every day at a time each one day at a time and not get carried away in in all of those those daily pressures and always thinking for tomorrow but at the end of the day we we live in this society that's everyone's constantly pushing forward and they're moving in different ways so it's you know, you're not living in isolation, so it's difficult to ignore that as well. Are you pissed this happened? No. This is my life. I think being angry that this happened would diminish everything that I've learned and gained. And who I am right now. Like, I think for a very long time, I kept on making references to old Kanika and new Kanika. And, you know, it's so easy to, to, to put certain aspects of your, for every, anyone to glorify the past. It's, it's so easy to, to cherry pick all of the wonderful, beautiful things that, that existed in your life and to put that up on a pedestal. Um, but the reality is, is it's just, it's, it's all one life. This is, this is just something that has happened to me, just like other things happen to other people. Um, and in so many ways, it has shaped the person who I am today. So I can't say I'm mad because that would be me saying I don't like who I am today. And I love the person that I am today. I love the person that I was a few years ago. I'm super grateful for all the opportunities that I've been given in my life before. And even though there's certain things in my life that are no longer a reality, it's, it's also really fun to be in this place of trying to figure things out. So no, I, I think that's a pretty irrelevant question to ask. What, uh, I came across something today that oops, upside down. I came across something today that you wrote for me right before the injury. Uh, I asked, can we not uh, share this? It's going to be really embarrassing. Probably. No, I, I actually don't need to share the whole thing. 
Um, but there was a couple of things, something that struck, struck me uh, out of it, because it's not embarrassing. It's actually incredibly consistent with what you just said, but it comes from someone who had a very different experience of the world. But there were a couple of things that, that struck me that might resonate with some of the people who listen to this podcast. And you were talking about, you were talking about making sure that you enjoyed the journey. And, but you said, you know, I control my own hours. There's no reason why I can't escape for two hours, but I don't, I need to finish my work. And then you said it never ends, you know, but what I found really interesting is you said, well, I see great gratitude and meaning from the work that I do on a daily basis. And then you said, it's the only human way that I can sustain myself. It's still a never ending cycle. And then at the end, you said again about your work, which will never end. What's interesting is less than a month and a half after you wrote this, the work that you were doing that you referenced here did end. And then this document, it just comes off as if you can't possibly survive without your work. And then less than two months later, you not only survive without your work, but you just gave me an answer that said you really like who you are. And it just struck me that there's so many people who listen to this podcast who think like that. They're like, this is where I get my identity. Like you said right at the beginning, what they do. And I just thought, did you really feel that way? Or I guess it's hard to remember, but like, did you really feel, you said your work is the only human way that you can sustain yourself. Is that an accurate statement now that you can look back at it? I don't think it's an embarrassing one. I, I just found it fascinating. I don't remember writing that, but if I can put myself in that mind frame, I was so enthralled in the work that I was doing that it essentially, it was me. I felt like there was no distinction. So I think when I make reference to the fact that the work will never end, it's because there's always more to do. And it's so hard to create those boundaries and those limits. And if I see myself as an embodiment of the work, and, and the work is something that has no end, then I'm just, I'm just like the servant to, to constantly doing stuff, and you just get lost in it. Um, do I identify with that anymore? Absolutely not. And I think it's because I've had the privilege, and, and I call it a privilege, to remove myself from my work, to, to get distance from it. And through that process, I've allowed myself to see that there's so much more to me than what I can do. And I think it's so easy to define yourself based on your abilities. And I think it's unfortunate I, well, again, I didn't know any better at the time. And I like that older version of myself too. So I don't want to be too hard or critical on that person. Cause at the end of the day, that's still me, but I think it's unfortunate and it's very limiting to define yourself solely based on your abilities, solely based on what you do, what you produce, um, your, your interest, your attachments, your, your relationships, because as human beings, we're, we're capable of so much more and not more as in able to do more, but at, I can't even describe it because it's not at a, at a tangible level. Uh, and if, I think if we choose to limit ourselves based on the, these like very clear cut metrics, then we're just one level removed from a robot, right? I think um, 
humans are comprised on all of these levels of of emotions, of ways of of processing, and again, all these words that I can't even think of. And that's what's so beautiful about being a human. And it's it's amazing only after having been forced to detach myself from work and to remove myself from social interactions and from and challenging my, my abilities and, and losing certain abilities, have I been able to gain this appreciation and in many ways kind of educate myself on this is what it means to be human. And that's really cool and that's really special. And I now see the world from such a richer lens and, and how I interact with people. And again, it's, it's difficult to describe, to put words to, because so much of it is intangible. You did that because you were forced to in many ways. Is there anything you could say to the listeners now that you think they could do to maybe do that themselves without being forced to the degree you were? to disconnect a little bit from identifying yourself by what you do instead of who you are? Well, it's interesting when you say I had no choice. Because I had the choice to reflect. I had the choice to, to see my world differently. You know, I, I think there's people in my situation that could have held on to a lot of anger, a lot of resentment, uh, a lot of still wishing things were the way that they were. And so, yes, I had, rather than choice, I'm going to say I had the privilege. I had the privilege to distance myself from everything. And having been forced with no options um, to connect, that gave me the space and time to reflect. And it gave me the opportunity to really come to these realizations on my own. And it's not all rosy, right? All of these come from a place of a lot of um, uncertainty and, and a lot of pain and a lot of searching because I've, I felt empty. I've, when work wasn't part of my life, I felt completely hollow, unfulfilled, because work was all that I did before, and then you instantly take it away from me. I just, I lost my sense of purpose, I lost activity, grounding, sense of accomplishment, so I just, for months, probably years, I just, I was very lost. So yes, no, no, my, my situation is definitely of an extreme, but if if someone's consciously aware of the fact that they want to distance their themselves from what they do, they see that who they are as a person is so much greater than what they do. Like, that's the first step. I think once you've made that realization, then you have to figure out for yourself what makes sense for you. So Kanika, who are you? It's, it's, so when I ask that, that's a very intimidating question to answer, <laughs> right? Because like, who am I? Am I, am I my job? Well, I'm not working right now. Am I, am I my interests? I'm 
in this process of trying to discover new interests in my, my relationships. A lot of my relationships are in flux. I'm not attached to someone at the time being, and I, I don't in any ways want to feel limited by that. And it's, it's a very loaded question, but it doesn't need to be such a complicated one. So through, through all of my months and years of, of searching, I've, I've discovered the core of who I am. Who am I as a person is, is I'm someone who's, who's compassionate. Um, I'm someone who's strong. I'm someone who's imperfect. I'm growing constantly. I feel whole. I'm complex. I'm hopeful. That's who I am. I'm not what I do. I'm not my relationships. I'm not, I'm not my accomplishments. I'm not my abilities. And this might sound very conceptual or it might sound very philosophical, but I believe that if we attach our identities to something that's intangible, in many ways, it's probably the greatest way to feel grounded because everything else is transient. Things change. Everything changes in life. Relationships evolve. Like, you know, when, when someone's attached to someone and then they part ways, they, they feel like a part of them is lost. And while that is true, I think at your core, who you are as a person, that should still remain unchanged. And it's, it's just a question of digging one layer deeper. Uh, and I think I chose to dig deeper because I needed something to keep me grounded. What question do you hope you can have an answer for at the end of every day? What question? Yeah. You could get up every morning for the rest of your life and be like, by the end of today, I want to have an answer for this question. What question would it be? This sounds awfully like a goal. <laughs> Damn, you caught me. Well, no. What if your intention is to find an answer to that question? Finding an answer. Okay, we're not having this conversation. It's just going to go in a circle. Uh, I think it's too hard to put it in one question. Because every day you're feeling different. And to arbitrarily decide every single day I'm going to try to answer this question... I think you're still putting yourself in a box. I totally should have known when I sat down to do a podcast with you, because this is why I sat down to do a podcast with you, that you would fundamentally disagree with the entire point of what I do for a living. I, I love it because I say to people, you want to live up to something? Answer these questions. And I kind of thought of all the guests I ever had who would look at me and be like, I don't accept that premise. I kind of knew it would be you. And that's why I was like, maybe I don't ask it, but I'm, th I wanted people to hear that. I was like, maybe she will, but I kind of had an inkling that you were going to do exactly that. And it's why I absolutely adore talking to you. Does this still make the cut? I think it, w it definitely will make the cut. It's fundamental because you make a good point. Like I want everyone to consider the things that I talk about is a tool you can use. And if asking yourself a question every day makes it more likely that you will have the intentions that you want to make your day awesome, then I'm cool with that. And if honestly people are self-reflective enough to be like, hmm, maybe that's not going to work, amazing. But it's all a tool. Everything that you say, everything that I say, I want people to hear all of the perspectives so they can pick out and say, that's what works for me. Because the greatest thing you can make someone do is to say, oh my God, I thought I was the 
I thought I was the only one. It, it really is. So yeah, of course it makes the cut. I'm just like, of all the people I knew, and it's why I wanted to talk to you because you challenge a lot of the things that all of us accept that just, oh yeah, that's how it is. Because I don't know of anyone who's had quite as much of the world can be completely different one day than the next as you have. Yeah. And on that note, it's, I think it's important to challenge and question things. On going back to empty platitudes, I think one of the things I've heard the most from, from a lot of people is, you know, everything happens for a reason, something good will come out of this. And that's a very difficult thing to accept because there's a lot of horrible things that happen in the world. There's a lot of suffering and there is no one in their right mind who can justify that, right? You just open up the newspaper and you can't just say this was meant to be. Like people are not meant to be displaced and all, all the horrible things happening in the world right now. And you know, this was for good, like something like good, good will come out of this. And I'm trying to find my words here. I think you make good of what happens. Good doesn't come on its own and nothing comes on its own. And by, by challenging certain statements or, or widely held beliefs, that gives us the opportunity to, to figure out, okay, what, what makes sense for me? How can I make good of what's, what's happening to me or what's happening to my situation? Nothing happens on its own. And it's, that, it's a way of reclaiming back control because when things beyond your control happen to you, you just, you feel completely helpless. And the statement that this was meant to be, it just, I don't know. I think it'll, it, it's a recipe for disaster to set you down on a tailspin. I think rather what needs to be said is this is something that has happened. How are you going to respond to it now? And, you know, acknowledging it, but choosing to, to move forward. And I think that's, that's what's more valuable. In that moment, you accept that now you have a choice and action and an agency as opposed to, oh, well, there's some grander plan at work and you're just a pawn in it. I think that's a more powerful thing. Yeah. And one thing that you said there that resonated with me is, you know, like, it's important to challenge things. Uh, one thing that was a hard lesson for me, it took me a while and I'm still working on it is I did accept that early on. Like, you know what? You have to challenge things. But what I didn't do as good a job went with is becoming the type of person who can also be challenged. It's, I think both of those, like when you challenge things, you learn, but if you do it at the same time without learning the art and the practice of being challenged, it will really set you up for failure. And it's, I, I just wanted to say as we close off, because I'm so appreciative of the time you've given, I've learned a lot about that from interacting with you to not only challenge, but the art of being, of accepting a counter challenge. And instead of being like, defend your position, explore and try to understand your position. So I appreciate that. You've made me a lot better because of it. Huh. Well, you're most welcome. So I'll close with one question. Kanika, why are you a leader? 
Why am I a leader? I don't know if I necessarily self-identify as a leader, and I don't know if we want to get into the definition of what it means to be a leader, you know, on the note of, of challenging things. I, I live first and foremost for myself, right? And, and we've spoken a lot about this, but just like, you know, living with integrity, standing by your core values, and, and being the type of person that you want to be. And if this is something that resonates with other people, and this is something that draws inspiration, that they're able to draw inspiration or strength from, then that's great. But I don't do anything that I do with the intention of leading or inspiring other people. I do what works best for me. But I guess maybe what makes me a leader is I'm, I'm very open to sharing that. And then I have been historically in, in the work that I've done in the past and that I, I'm currently doing through my writing is I'm not shy to, to share my perspectives, to share my experiences, to talk about my fears, the things that I'm uncertain about, and to welcome people into my world. Because I value my perspectives and, and what my way of seeing the world, and I'm not shy to, to carve a place for that for others to hear. But I don't do it for others. I just, I do this for myself, but then I also believe in the importance of sharing it with others in a very open and transparent way. And if it's something that can benefit other people, then that's fantastic. Um, but yeah. That's, I guess, yeah, that's, that's what would make me a leader, but then that's what any, like anyone can be a leader. And I think there's, it's a bit of a cachet associated with the word leader or, or leadership or entrepreneur and, and all of these glorified terms. And again, all of that's unnecessary. It's like, you act with integrity, you believe and stand by what you do, and you don't have to do anything. It could just be who you are as a person, your being, how you interact with others. Um, and that's who you are. Leader is just a label. It, and again, we've talked in depth about identity. It has nothing to do with who you are. It's just, it's just like a sticker that you attach to yourself. Well, Kanika, Thank you for finally saying yes. And more importantly, for never telling me to stop asking. As you said, you're like, how many times are you going to ask? And I was like, until you ask me to stop. And I really appreciate you never, never saying yes, but you never asked me to stop asking. So I do appreciate one, because I know that it takes a lot to share. And I know it's part of who you are. But hey, it takes time and energy and courage. So thanks so much for, for sharing it with me and with the listeners. Thank you. And that was supposed to be the end of the interview. But as is often the case when I chat with Kanika, we found something else to talk about before we could finally wrap it up. And in this case, she had some thoughts about the questions I was asking earlier on in the interview. And she wanted to talk about it. And she said, well, turn it back on. Let's chat through it. So here's a little bit more of our conversation about the conversation we had just had. So you were thinking, Kanika. Oh, I'm always thinking. 
It's, it's interesting having this conversation with you because we're having it today, November, f- like in the, the tailgate, like, sorry, we're, we're having this conversation today in 2016, mm-hmm. whereas you and I have been having conversations since 2013. And it's, it's pretty amazing to me some of the things that you remember me saying because you say stuff and you forget about it. But there were, there were times over the course of this podcast where you would like basically cherry pick things from the past and transport it to today. So a lot of the conversations I was having with you maybe two years ago of my frustrations of things people said and empty platitudes, at the time it was very raw. And at the time it was very hurtful and it was very frustrating. But I really struggle to talk about it today because I feel like I've moved beyond that. Uh-huh. And I think it's just, we have a very, you have a unique perspective too because, you know, you're not like some dude from the radio that's like, oh, hey, Kanika, let's interview you because they haven't had these conversations and they haven't seen the evolutions of my thinking and even my, my own personal sense-making over the years. They're seeing me at this point in time. And at this point in time, this is my way of looking at the world. And these are all the things I've come to terms with. This is all the stuff that I've let go of. And this is all the stuff that's irrelevant to me right now. Whereas you, you're picking up all of these things from the past and I've worked through them. So I think where I I stumbled or I I hesitate to answer some of these questions or or perhaps didn't sound as coherent is because it's like, this is old news, buddy. Like, (laughs) this is not stuff that I want to talk about anymore. Or this is stuff that maybe this is me polishing my own story. Like... I've worked through all those weeds and I don't want to talk about the weeds anymore because I needed to go through those to get to where I am right now. But like, I hold no hard feelings to all the things people told me at once upon a time because I now have that awareness to recognize that there's so much that they did not understand. And I'm able to remove myself from that situation and think through things objectively and be like, wait a minute, all of this negative emotional energy is just weighing me down. And because I've worked through that, I just don't even want to talk about it anymore. So a part of me was kind of like, why are you even bringing this up? And that's where I I struggled to talk about it. But, you know, had we had this conversation two years ago, it would be completely different. And as someone having, being on the other end, I think you have that luxury of having had these conversations over um, over time. Yeah. Um, and so you're capturing different snapshots and different perspectives. And all this to show that perspectives change and evolve. So yeah, that's why a lot of the stuff on, on, on the platitudes and, and this and that that we, we had spoken to at length before, to me, it's just not interesting anymore to talk about it. And I'd rather you edit it out entirely from this because I think I have much more interesting things to talk about now. Do you know why I asked? Because that's where your story is. And as I said before, the idea of the podcast is 
for the listener. And I'm happy to edit if you want, but just so you know why it's there. Because I don't know where anyone who's listening to it is on their journey. And you know how I said the greatest thing you can do is to make people say, oh my God, I thought I was the only one. Where you are now, the only, maybe I'm wrong, but it seemed at some point you said the only way I got to where I am now is by going through who I was then. And so I don't know who's listening to the podcast and where they are in their voyage, either as someone dealing with something similar or someone who cares about someone similar. So that's why I go back and, and pull from the, the move because I want to be as useful as possible with these interviews, not just to the person being interviewed, but also to the people listening. And that's why I asked because I know it was part of who you were and you moved through it. So I just, I don't know if it's going to resonate with somebody out there now. Oh, well, aren't you lucky? It's like you get to have a conversation with five different Kanikas all in one. But they're all one Kanika though, right? Exactly. <laughs> but no, I, I mean, and that's, that's what it is, is that because you're right. Like, I know this is where you are now, but they don't. Um, they don't know that. And a lot of where you are now doesn't make as much sense if you don't understand what put into it. And so that's, that's kind of why I ask. Yeah. But see, I appreciate you saying it. I really do. So because it's something to think about. Yeah. Anything else you'd like to know from me? Oh, there's so much more I want to know from you. But I also have had enough conversations with you to recognize when you need a break. (laughs) Thank you. See, I'm I'm appreciative of that. (laughs) My extraordinary thanks to Kanika Gupta. I know that was an exhausting interview, and I'm so grateful that she gave us the time and all of the insight that she did. Thank you to all of you for coming back to the Day One podcast. I'm thrilled that we've gotten so many listeners and thank you for sharing it for those of you who do. And thank you to all of you who've taken the time to go onto iTunes and give us a five-star review. I really didn't know how to create a podcast, but one of the things I've learned is that the more reviews you can get, the more new listeners you're going to connect with. So if you haven't done so yet and you enjoy the podcast, I'd love it if you could take a moment, head to iTunes and give us a five-star review. I want to say thank you to one of our listeners in particular and wish him only the best as he takes on, I believe it'll be the Seattle Seahawks this coming Sunday. So I got a great email from someone saying that they love the podcast and I wanted to shout out to him and his team. You got a tough spot ahead of you, my friend. I wish you nothing but the best. I want to thank Mike Allison as we kick off the second season. Mike is the guy who does the theme song and intro and extra music. He's going to be a future guest on the podcast. He's the head writer of the Canadian comedy series. This hour has 22 minutes, but I knew him back in university and he was good enough to put together the theme music for us. So I really appreciate that. If you like what we talk about on the podcast, why don't you check out our website? It's dayoneleadership.com, D-A-Y-O-N-E, leadership.com. You can follow us on Twitter at at dayoneleadership. That's D-A-Y and the number one leadership.com. We're posting video blogs. We're posting blogs every week. And you can get a more in-depth idea of how it is that we take values and we live them every single day. I'm thrilled to be back bringing you insights from our guests. I do want to acknowledge something before we sign off this week. I was thrilled with the guests that we had come on for our first season of the podcast. Really enjoyed what they were able to share. And when we, I first sat down to create a list of the people I wanted to talk to, I had about 30 people on the list. And I split it evenly between men and women. And as I sat down and started setting up the interviews, I got so excited that I simply scheduled all the people who said yes first. 
And I was actually extraordinarily embarrassed when I sat back and took a look after we sort of took our hiatus at what had been done thus far and realized that of the first 12 or 13 podcasts we recorded, only two of them were women. And I mentioned this on the video blog that I recorded last week for the website, but I didn't even realize that was the case. And I consider myself someone who's really committed to inclusion, really committed to diversity and recognizing that leadership comes from a lot of different places. And yet that wasn't reflected in the first set of guests that I featured on the podcast. It wasn't intentional, but I think that's something that opened my eyes up even more. I simply didn't notice it. I was so caught up in caring only about, hey, is this good content? that I never actually stopped and said, yeah, sure, it's good content, but you haven't tried hard enough to make sure that it's as inclusive and diverse as you want. So I wanted to apologize for that. And it's a lesson that I learned because you know what? Didn't do it intentionally, did it with no malice. But as a matter of fact, I did it simply because I wasn't conscious enough of something that I cared about. And I wanna make sure as we move forward, you know that I'm gonna work on making that change. And so we've got some amazing women coming up. We've got some great leaders overall coming to see you on the rest of the Day One Leadership Podcast. Can't wait to see you next week. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Drew Dudley. This is Day One. Every day is Day One. See you next week. 